You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Louis Giglio, and it's a continuation of a series entitled Powerful. If you have a Bible, have scripture tonight, we're in Acts chapter 17. That should get at least one amen, because we're not in Acts chapter 2 anymore. <laughs> Praise God. So we're going to fast forward a little bit tonight to Acts 17. And what we're going to learn, even in a quick glance at Acts 17, is that the story of Jesus is moving out. The Holy Spirit came so that we could move out in supernatural power with the story of resurrection, and we could take that story to every single person on planet Earth. This is what Acts is all about. And you get the thumbnail version of Acts just by looking at the little headers between the verses. So look as you're heading into chapter 17. Above the first verse, it says, in Thessalonica. So Paul and Silas have arrived in a town that you can visit now in Greece, Thessalonica. They've arrived. Trouble breaks out because people are opposed to this story of Jesus. So they move on to Berea. So the next little header you see, now Paul and Silas are in Berea. Trouble breaks out in Berea. So they send Paul to the coast, to the city of Athens. And so now Paul's in Athens. And what is powerful about this to me, this has just absolutely blown my heart up this week, is that this story of Jesus, it started in a very obscure upper room in pretty much a remote city, an outpost of the Roman Empire in Judea, is now going to be proclaimed in the cultural center of the world. It is now going to be proclaimed in the philosophical center and the mythological center of the world. Meaning, our Jesus story isn't a back porch, me and my three buddies having a glass of iced tea story because we're from down in Georgia. This is a worldwide global movement of God, and it is a global story of God. And we are about to look at, I think, one of the greatest sermons in the history of the church, and it is a message that is as big as the world. Paul now arrives in Athens. We're going to see some things true about us today, but we're going to try to do two things at the same time and see some things that are true about Passion City Church and the church. So two things are going to happen today. God's going to talk to you specifically about things that are true about you right in this message. But then there are also going to be a few things that we see that are true about us, like what is our purpose and how do we go about that purpose. And the first one that we see that's true about us is that last week we said, if our purpose is big enough, no circumstance in life can thwart our purpose. If our purpose is as big as wanting the world to know about Jesus, no cancer can stop that. No death can stop that. No circumstance can stop that. They just become a megaphone for the story of Jesus to the world. And we see that point right here when Paul arrives in Athens. He didn't book this vacation on Expedia.com. They, they weren't thinking, let's go to Mykonos and check out the little, you know, crater island and get a view of that. We got a good deal on a, on a cruise in the Mediterranean. We should go. No, Paul 
is in Thessalonica, run out of town, in Berea, run out of town, and now just ends up in Athens because, hey, you got to get out of Berea. Let's get you to Athens. Rolls in to a new city, new context, new arena, new circumstances, new people, not of his choosing and not on his iCal, not in his plans. And he says, great. Where are we now? Now we're in Athens. Awesome. Guess what? Athens is about to hear the story of Jesus and about his resurrection from the dead. If that's your purpose, no change of itinerary can slow you down because you can tell the people in this town about Jesus just as well as you can tell the people in that town about Jesus. And it doesn't mean we're not disappointed when things didn't work out the way that we hoped. It just means they don't throw shade on our purpose. And we're like, I didn't think I would end up here. I was hoping to end up over there. But guess what? I can tell people about Jesus either place. So my purpose is going to prevail no matter what the circumstance was in my life. He comes into town. He notices it's a very religious, idol-worshiping people. He goes into the synagogues, which would be his normal custom as a Jew, and he reasons with them about Jesus. But he also goes out into the marketplace, just to the common man and woman on the street, and he talks to them about Jesus. He talks to the Epicureans and to the Stoics, two different uh, viewpoints of philosophy on life. He talks to both camps, and they begin to say to him, you're, you're bringing some new crazy teaching to Athens. We've never heard anything like this before. And so not too long after that, Paul ends up in the council of Athens. It's called the Areopagus. Another word, the council of Athens. This is where the leaders of the city would gather. They would make decisions about the political future of the city. They would make decisions about uh, new philosophies that had come into debate. They were the decision makers of Athens. And they said, if you're going to come teaching all this stuff, you're going to have to come up to the council of Athens. And so Paul appears on a place called Mars Hill, the Latin for Areopagus. And I want you to jump in with me, if you will, and see what happens in verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, and he said, people of Athens, and he opens this message. Now, I want you just to get a mental snapshot, and I don't know at the five o'clock what kind of world travelers we have, but has anyone at the five o'clock actually been to Greece before? Okay, show of hands, few people. Okay, great. Let's back up and start a little further back. Anybody at the five o'clock like baklava? Okay, yeah, okay, now we're, we're all moving forward together. Um, anybody been to Greece? If you've been to Greece and been to Athens, Greece, I'll just save the questions because I know it's going to go down to just a few people based on that early response. If you go to Athens, the thing you can't miss is the Acropolis. You've seen it. It's an icon on earth. It's a huge outcropping out, outside the epicenter of Athens. On it is built the Parthenon, and it is stunning in every way. If you go to Athens, you're going to go there. You're going to walk up this little side road, and then you're going to start in a trail that winds its way through the ruins and the hillside and ultimately will take you up to the Parthenon. And on your way up to the Parthenon, you're going to pass on the left a little outcropping of rocks, and on the rocks is a plaque, and the plaque says, this is the location of Mars Hill. This is the place where the Apostle Paul gave the sermon that we are about to read right 
now. And what is beautiful about that is a few days ago, we were in Jerusalem right outside the upper room on the day of Pentecost, talking to our Jewish brothers and sisters who were in town for the festival of Pentecost. But here we are now in the shadow of the Parthenon, in the shadow of the Acropolis, a Parthenon dedicated to the goddess Athena, thus Athens. Athena is the goddess of wisdom and the goddess of war. She's a beast, if you will. She came out of the head of Zeus. She is somebody to be reckoned with. And the Athenians held her in such high regard that they dedicated the Parthenon to her. So we are talking about a cultural heartbeat, a philosophical heartbeat. We're talking about a council of wise and learned people who are in charge of the epicenter of the world, if you will. And now Paul arrives, no plan of his own. Here he is at the council, no advance warning, no preparation last week, the week before. By the way, next Friday, you'll be at the council at the Areopagus. You should start working on that message. No, here I am. God has put me in this place. But good news, I've got the Holy Spirit power in my life. And they say, we want to hear from you. We've heard that you've been talking new talk in town. We heard you've been talking about somebody named Jesus in town, and we want to hear what you have to say. And Paul now stands up in the Areopagus, and he addresses these people. And I want you just to read with me this sermon, and then we're going to talk about it just for a few minutes. He says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. Can we just take a snapshot of that real fast? This is what we're doing in Atlanta, Georgia today. We got people searching, people looking, people striving, people longing, people with questions, and all we're doing is stepping in the gap saying, hey, you know what you're looking for? I'd like to tell you what you're looking for. You know what you've been longing for? I know who you've been longing for. You know what you've been searching for? I know what you've been searching for, because I did that same search that you're doing, but I found something at the end of the search. So now he's connecting this idol that says, in case there's a God that we forgot, we want to make sure we don't disturb you or make you mad in any way. We want to seek your favor. He says, this God that you don't know, I am going to proclaim to you. And then now he begins to tell them about the unknown God. He said, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself, hello, gives all people life and breath and everything else. He goes on to explain, from one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that people would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. 
And then he shifts gears a little now and sort of gets down to the heart of the matter. He says, therefore, taking your poet in mind, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God would overlook such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. See, that's that boldness coming out now. He found common ground, but now he's letting them see the truth. For he, God, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. That's Jesus. He's given proof of this to all men by raising Jesus from the dead. He is cooking now. He's coming down to the close now. He's coming down to every head will bow and every eye will close. And we're going to have a chance to respond right now. Would anybody like to know this God who gave you life and breath and everything and knew the times and the boundaries of your life and exactly where you would live and put a searching in your heart so that you would seek him and reach for him and find him because in him you live and move and have your being. But when he says, Proof through the resurrection, the place goes haywire because the Greek mindset has no place to put the concept of resurrection. And a Greek mindset, when you die, you're done. Death is the end. There is no return in that equation. And so when he says resurrection, a little bit of pandemonium breaks out. The message winds down. And a few verses later, Paul's on his way to Corinth. That was his stop in Athens. A few days time, observed the situation, called up to the council, put on the spot in a heartbeat, and the power of the Holy Spirit proclaims Jesus in such a powerful and beautiful way. I think one of the greatest sermons ever given is the one we just heard right now. And it wasn't just for the men and the people of Athens. It was for you. This message of God says some powerful things about you and about me. When, it, when, when he's saying people of Athens, he's really saying people of the world, sophisticated thinkers, people searching through philosophy, anybody seeking through an avenue towards truth, anybody who's using your mind to try to stir up every possibility of the meaning of life, this is who this message is for. And I want to just point out a few of the key things that he's saying about you and about me. Number one, he's telling us, Paul is, God is through Paul in this sermon, that if you want to find ultimate meaning, you have to understand that life begins with God and not with you. To find ultimate meaning, we have to come to the understanding that life begins with God and not with us. And this is immediately how he shifts gears. They would have had thousands of idols in Athens. Too many to count. He just happened to notice the one that said to an unknown God. And so in their mind, it was, we make the idols, we name the gods. This God, we don't have a name, so we're going to name it the unknown God. We're basically in charge of the gods. And he begins his message by turning that on its head and saying, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. In other words, what he's saying to you and me today is God is not man-made. God is the maker of man. 
And there are a lot of us in this world who get into conversations often with people and they don't mind talking about God. It's just the God they created. But you're not going to get to ultimate meaning by talking about a God that you created because what kind of God could it be if you created that God? If you created the God, then you are God. And so we should just be worshiping you. You see, ultimate meaning comes when we realize God is the initiator of everything. And we then understand God by his revelation. And hello, we understand ourselves by God's revelation. We don't decide who God is, and we really don't decide who we are. God reveals who he is. And when God reveals who he is, then God reveals who we are in him. The second thing it says about you and about me is that we are not free floating in life and we're not arbitrary. We're not free floating in life. In other words, we're not just radical particles, disconnected from any ultimate meaning, guided by our own will, choices, and desires. We are not free floating and we are not arbitrary. On the contrary, you and I are very much intended in this moment. He says, God. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples made by human hands. He goes on to say he doesn't need anything. Like, what could we possibly give God? He said, on the contrary, here's how it worked. God gave you life. God gave you breath. And God gave you everything. And so if you're sitting in this building today and you have life, and if you're in this building right now and you have breath, if you're in this building right now and you have anything, then that is a sign that you have intrinsic value woven into your being because you are the idea of God. And God gave you life. God gives you breath. And God gives you everything you have. See, no one can take that away from you. That's not earned or conferred. That is intrinsic in creation that you have value, you have origin, you have purpose, and you have destiny. That's what he was saying to the council in Athens on this day. You are not random, men of Athens. You are intended by Almighty God, lives of purpose and destiny. The third thing he says about you, and I love this, he says that all of your life is a setup. All of your life is a setup. That's what he's about to tell him. Listen to the way he says it. He says, from one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. He determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. So when you go down the hall, if you're in college and you go to find your dorm room on the very first time that you're finding your dorm room, anybody live in a dorm room in this gathering right here? Thank you. And you find that dorm room and you're like, this is my room. And they're like, no, 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 you're looking for the other one. And you go, oh, okay, great. I was on the wrong floor. You finally get around there and you get to your door. You could look above it and it could say, God knew you were going to be in this dorm room. Because he determines the boundaries of our lives and the seasons of our lives and where we would live. He sets it all up so that we could have a face-to-face meeting with Jesus. He is setting up your life. This is so powerful. So that you can have a face-to-face meeting with Jesus. Now, some of you are going to walk down a hard road But that's the road that's going to lead you to a face-to-face meeting with Jesus. 
some of you are going to walk through a diagnosis, but without that diagnosis, you are not going to have a face-to-face meeting with Jesus. Some of you are going to walk through heart, heartache and have a relationship blow up on you, but unless that relationship blows up, you are not having a face-to-face meeting with Jesus. And you're like, well, why is God making it so hard? He's not making it so hard. It's this way because we don't get it when the sun sets every day and rises every morning. We don't get that. And so he has to help us get him. And you are being set up right now. Not set up for failure. You don't have to sweat it out like a blind date. It is the best setup of all, but God is positioning things in your life so that you can have a face-to-face meeting with Jesus. I don't know if I can uh, read this message, but I'm going to ask for grace a little bit. At the end of every Sunday, an email goes around to our core pastors. It tells us who is here today. It'll tell us exactly how many people are at the five and how many people at Cumberland and how many people in Bloom and how many people are in Passion Kids at the 515 gathering. But it's not all about numbers. It's about people. And at the end of every one of these emails, there'll be stories that came from the access space or from a conversation that happened. The first story, last uh, Sunday night's email was about someone at Cumberland. I'm happy to say that at 9.15 gathering this morning, the someone that was in the email last Sunday night put their faith in Jesus this morning at the 9.15 gathering at Cumberland. And I won't share their story with you, but if you saw it, you'd be like, oh my word, and we all clap again, just incredible. But I hope I'll have grace to share this one because you might be in the room, and I just want you to know our pastors love you, and I'm gonna protect your identity. But it said, tonight in access, this was last Sunday after the five o'clock, our team got to meet, and it says the name of the person. This person is originally from China. They're in Atlanta to go to school, and they're in one of the universities in Atlanta as a senior This person, and I hate saying this person, but I'm going to just leave it at this person. This person, but you're imagining someone right now, and that's even more fun. Uh, This person lives nearby and has been intrigued by all the traffic and the shuttles full of people that they noticed going to this large white building, quote unquote. Discovering it was a church and not having any background in faith whatsoever this person decided to see what it was all about. They spent the past four Sundays coming to the 5 p.m. gathering. So can we just say welcome if you're here? We love you. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad you got on the shuttle. So awesome and exciting. But listen to the rest of this. Tonight they came to Access and asked for their first Bible. They said that we keep talking about this man named Jesus. This person wants to figure out how they can learn about him. The fact that people were getting baptized, this person's first time ever seeing this. Because those people had put their trust in Jesus, made them want to ask more questions. Our team was able to give them a Bible, walk them through scripture, give them a plan to start reading. We're going to connect with them in the future. You're like, well, that's so wonderful. What a great coincidence. Or is it more likely that from a town or a village or a city we don't know in a country that has little access 
to Jesus, so much so that this person is sharp enough and smart enough to be in a university in this town as a senior, but has never heard about Jesus. Is it possible that all this business about, well, some people are born in different parts of the world, and they weren't born in Atlanta, Georgia, so we can't worry about whether or not they know Jesus because they're from somewhere else on the planet. How could they work that out? I'll tell you how. Because God determines where people live. He determines the seasons of their lives. He determines the boundaries of their life. Why? Because he knows they've got the same thing in their heart that you have in your heart. So he brought somebody from a country with limited access to the story of Jesus to a school in Atlanta, Georgia. And it just so happens he put them in an apartment or a condominium, not sure which, in proximity to this revolving door, this merry-go-round of shuttle buses full of people all day long on a Sunday going to this building, this big white building down at the bottom of the hill until finally curiosity won the day. And this person says, what's happening down there in that building? And someone says, it's a church. And they say, what is that? And they say, well, you should come. They say, I'm coming. I'm getting on a shuttle. I'm coming down the sidewalk. So I'll say it just one more time. Thank you for dealing with the parking fiasco that is Passion City Church 515. But praise God for traffic and shuttles because traffic and shuttles are a part of God's sovereign plan to cause somebody to be set up for a face-to-face meeting with Jesus. And he's doing the very same thing for you. He's setting you up right now to find what you're looking for. That's the next thing that's true about you in this text. You are a seeker. Because God put heaven in your heart. That's what scripture says. He says, God set up everybody with the times and the seasons and where they would live so that, in other words, the reason why all these situations and circumstances are happening, can I be bold enough? Maybe the reason why your, your kid just lost their mind, the, the reason why your business went under, the, the reason why hardship came is because no one's testimony is, I was rocking so hard, had made so much money, my family was perfect, my health was perfect, our business was perfect, our garden was perfect, our dog was perfect, everything in our world was perfect, and we just said, we must find the Lord. (laughs) Have you read that book? No. Have you heard that person speak at a meeting? No. Did they ever come to Passion? No. Have they been to your camp? No. Did you ever hear them on television? No. Who have you heard? When my wife passed away, something happened in me. I realized I had nothing left and I was lost. I was so frustrated, so angry, so confused in life. But then somehow, 
my eyes opened and I realized there's something more to life. And it was in that moment that I finally surrendered and said, God, I need you. I cannot make it a day without you. And God moved in and God changed things in my life. And I've got an eternal future with him. That's the story you've heard and I've heard. That's the story you've read and I've heard and a thousand others like them because we're not smart enough to figure it out when we see the Alps. It takes God putting a thorn in our flesh to awaken us to what we knew already. There's got to be more to life than just living and dying. You're a seeker and I'm a seeker. And he said, I set it all up for this reason, so that they would seek God. Verse 27, and perhaps reach out for God and more ultimately that they would find God. And I love this, though he is not far from each one of us. You're a seeker, but here's the good news tonight. This is worth coming for. Your searching has an end. Your searching is not perpetual, eternal searching. It's like the woman at the well. You talk about a setup. You got a Jewish rabbi in Samaria. Bad idea. You got somebody in a part of town shouldn't be in. You got a, a guy talking to a lady in the context of biblical times. And then the conversation unfolds. I'll tell you more about what I'm trying to say if you'll just get your husband. I don't have a husband. You speak correctly when you say you don't have a husband. Actually, you've had five husbands. And the guy you're with right now, he's not your husband. But I'll tell you something. What you've been searching for, what Thomas didn't have, what Caleb didn't have, what Larry didn't have, what Bob didn't have, what Bill didn't have, and what this dude you're with now doesn't have, Timothy, Tim, okay, Tim. <laughs> I just... He didn't have it either, but I've got it. In fact, I am it. You're searching for something, young lady, but here is what I came to tell you. Your searching has an end. Another thing that he's telling you about you in this message and telling me about me in this message is that God is not on our level opening line. He's the God of heaven and earth. He is not the man upstairs. Could I just keep saying that? He is not the man upstairs. He is almighty God, and he is not on your level, but he's not out of reach either. <laughs> and what the text is saying is, even though he is holy God, creator of heaven and earth, you don't have to have an arm that can reach all the way to heaven because he had a way to reach all the way to earth called Jesus Christ, born in a manger, God in human flesh. And I'm telling you tonight, God isn't like you, and that's the best news you've ever heard. But he's not so far away from you that you can't reach for him and find him. Do you know why? Because he's not far 
from any of us. Grace came near. So you don't have to go get an extension ladder or get in an elevator. Jesus already got in the elevator, not on our level to go up to his level, but on his level to come down to our level. And when the door opened, he stepped in, and he's not far from any of us. Just a couple more. Another thing he's saying about you and saying about me is that he's not like the world, this God. He's holy. He's a creator. He's almighty. But he totally understands your world. He's not like the world, but he totally understands your world. Let me go back over here and let's learn something else about Passion City Church and the church for a moment. Number one, we learn that our purpose, if our purpose is to tell the world about Jesus, can't be stopped by any circumstance. But the second thing we're going to learn together about us is, is that God wants us to be bilingual in this world. He wants to say to the world, God's not like the world, but he understands your world. And how are they going to know that? Because we're going to have some understanding of their world, and we do. And we're going to be able to do what Paul did. Paul, being brilliant, rolls into Athens, looks around, sees all these idols, picks out one with an unknown God, probably says to himself what a good preacher would understand. That's a good sermon illustration right there. And if I get put on the spot, I'm going with that guy right there, the unknown God. I am ready with the unknown God. A, a, a good Acts believer walks into every situation looking for the common ground moment. And they may store it away in their pocket for another conversation or another day or another week, but they put it in their pocket right away. I see a common ground here. I see a way to make the gospel clear. What am I trying to say? Our message will never change. Our message is the same as Paul's. You can read it a few verses before. He came to the Epicureans and the Stoics in the synagogue, in the marketplace, teaching about Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And that is our message. It is always going to be our message. But come on, we got to find some means to find common ground with people. And so he comes to his moment, and he goes, I know, it's Erastus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab Erastus. I, I know, I know this poem, and it's going to fit perfect right here. I'm going to use their own pagan poem to make my point about how God couldn't possibly be an idol made out of stone or silver or gold. And so I'm just going to whip it out at the end, just kind of like casual with the Council of Athens, and I'm going to say, you know, because in him we live and move and have our being. You know, as your poet has said, we are his offspring. And they went, I know that song. And I imagine a light bulb went off in somebody's mind, like, you got to be kidding me. You're talking about a God who is so far above anything we've ever thought of in our lives, but you're telling me that this God can come on a level where we live and connect our life to his life. This is being bilingual. And I think we all get it here, but we don't want to be people who only know how to speak church to the world. Because if all you know how to speak is church, you're going to end up living in a compound. But we do not want to be people who only speak world to the world either. Because if all you're speaking to the world is world, then you are offering them a compromised gospel of Christ. But if you can find common ground, you can see light bulbs go off in people. And it is amazing when it happens. I mean, Erastus, I mean, we don't know Erastus. We don't know this poem. But I mean, to use a pagan poet in a message, in a sermon in the Bible, a lot of people would just throw a red flag on that right away. Can't do that. He doesn't quote the whole poem. He doesn't go into details. But come on, he found the common 
ground. And I think that's powerful and amazing. It would be like me dropping some Cardi B in the middle of this message right now. <laughs> but just stay with me for a moment because this is tricky and I don't know uh, Cardi B. And, um, and I say that in, in the most sincere way because I try not to talk much about people I don't know. Some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Well, that's great. There's some good Christians among us. God bless you. Just stay right where you are. Tune all the rest of this out. There's several people who are backslidden here and need to get right with the Lord. They are now leaning in for the ministry time that's coming. It's a little bit true, isn't it? Some people are a little uncomfortable. Like, I don't know where you could possibly go with this in church. How many of you are feeling that for me right now? Like, this could get really awkward and crazy. So Belkali's Almanzar crashed on the scene and took over the rap world. Um, her track, uh, Bodak Yellow, is the prevailing club track, period. Anybody out in the clubs? Here. So you wouldn't know it. But if you were out in the clubs, you would know the drop right off because it is a hook of all hooks. I would invite you to listen to the clean version, watch the clean video online. It's had two million uh, views. The non-clean version has had 645 million views. Legitimately one of the biggest songs in the world over the last few months. And so I wouldn't bring that into my talk. I wouldn't say, and you know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about Bodak Yellow. We're gonna just hit that, if you will. <laughs> so I'm not gonna say, hey, hit that, if you will, and now blah, 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 and look at us. We know what's up, and we know what's in, and we know where the kids are, and we know what people are listening to. And now here's my point. I would never do that, because as soon as I did, you would understand that that just is a train wreck for what we're trying to offer to people here. But if I was in a conversation with somebody at the right time, I might say it's like Bodak Yellow. You can get the red soled shoes and you can get both pair. You don't have to choose. You do not have to stand in that dilemma of, I've saved up my $1,500 and I could even get those or get those. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I can't really afford either one, but I'm gonna go hard in on some debt and get those right there. And, and what, what Cardi B is saying is, I can get them both. And what I would say back to someone at the right moment, it's kind of like Cardi B in the red shoes. You can get them both, but you know what? You could get a hundred pair of them and it still won't satisfy what's ticking deep down in the human heart. You can get your teeth fixed. You can take, take a bag to the bank. But it's not going to satisfy what's causing you to seek and to reach. The hope of being a seeker is that your seeking has an end. God is not like you. But he's not too far from you. It's not like the world, but he understands the world. And if it helps you understand what I'm saying about what I found, 
Look, you can get all 40 pair. You can buy the whole store. You can get a franchise if you want to. It's still not going to do what finding what you were created for is going to do inside your heart. And that way, you're not compromising. You're, you're not spitting out all of Cardi B because I, I couldn't and wouldn't. But you're finding common ground with people. And if it's not Cardi B, then speak about Apple's earnings last week. If it's not Apple's earnings last week, then be able to speak intelligently about the Premier Football League in England. If it's not the Premier League that cranks you up, then talk about, I don't know, the World Golf Championship this weekend. Whatever it is that you can get outside of this little bitty tunnel vision, but you've got to find the common ground. And you couldn't come rolling into Athens and go, well, uh, man, I don't know. I don't really know how to talk to you guys, but... Oh, I observe the idols. And yes, I do know you're poets. And so I'm going to be able to speak Jesus to you in a way that you understand that God is in this world, but he is not like this world. And so somebody says to me, well, thank you for sharing all that, because that made me feel a whole lot better about rocking this uh, certain track that I've been listening to all the time. I feel good about that now. That's just my way of speaking to the world. Well, you just talk to the Holy Spirit about that. Because he's the wind and the sail of the church and of his people. You just talk to the Holy Spirit about that. Don't bring that to me. People are like, what do you think about that? Why are you asking me that? Why are you bothering me with that question? You just take that right on to the Holy Spirit. And you let him speak to you about what he wants you to fill up your life with. So you fill up your life with truth. You build a foundation of the word of God. You, and you just drench yourself in who God is. And as you do that, you will be able to grab on in observation things around you that will allow you to be bilingual in the world. And you can talk Jesus to people anywhere at any time. Two more quick things and I have to close. What is God saying to you? He's saying that he's not asking you to take a leap in the dark. He's given you indisputable proof in the resurrection of Jesus. So he shifts gears. If we're his offspring, then look at us. He ain't stone. He's not silver. He's not gold. He must be a being. He must be thinking. He must have eyes. He must have ears. He must have understanding this God who created us. And he said, in the old days, we would sort of give people a pass because it wasn't yet time for Christ to be born. But in these days, Jesus has appeared. Revelation has happened. The Son of Man has walked on planet Earth. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, for I and the Father are one. He's the exact representation, the scripture says, of his likeness. He is God in human flesh. So in the old days, we could say, well, I didn't know, so I made a stone altar. Is that cool? In the new days, we're saying, no, it's not cool, because Jesus has come and walked on planet Earth. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus took our sin on a cross and died and was buried. Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of almighty God. So no longer do we have an excuse to say, well, I'm just going to make a little idol and set it on the shelf in my house. And I've seen a hundred of them around the world. Welcome to our home. Here is our shrine. And on the shelf is a four inch tall trinket. said, no, that's not going to work anymore. Why? 
because Jesus has proved in his resurrection that he is who he said he is, Savior and Lord. So God isn't asking you in this place to run off a cliff and just leap into faith. He's asking you to walk into an empty tomb and use your mind and think it through. And, parenthetically, he's not concerned in the slightest with your outcome. If you were to think, well, what would happen if I disproved that? <laughs> he's not, uh, what, that ain't gonna happen. Well, how do you know I'm pretty smart? A lot of smart people before you have tried. It's indisputable proof. This book was written in the time frame of people who were still alive when Jesus was raised from the dead. No way a hoax could have been concocted like this. And lastly, what does it say about you? It says that you have a big decision to make. The Old Testament says it this way, God has set before you life and set before you death. Can I just say that to every person in this room? God has set before you life and death. He set it before Adam and Eve and he set it before you. He's not gonna railroad you, he's giving you a choice. He is setting before you life and setting before you death. But then he comes to your aid and proves that he is for you. As the text unfolds, God has set before you life and set before you death. Choose life that you may live. And so he says, there's a time appointed. The resurrection man is going to judge the world. God is going to get the last say. And every one of us is going to go on record as even as either having received the grace of God in Christ or rejected the grace of God in Christ. Everyone is going to make that choice of life or death. It's just some of us are going to make the choice of life before it's too late. And right now, in your mouth, is the power of life and the power of death. Paul wrote it this way, and I'll close with this text. He said, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That's the message concerning the faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Greek. 
Hello, there's no difference from day one of Pentecost than there is from rolling into the city of Athens and to the Areopagus. There is no difference between anybody on the planet. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you are encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be uplifting to others, then be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church podcast.